Just wanted to warn you, parts of the story may be upsetting and could be triggering. Listener discretion is advised. Also, if you haven't listened to part one of Joyce Dixon Haskett's story, please go back and start there. I knew that if he didn't kill me, someone in the streets was going to kill me. When we left off, Joyce Dixon Haskett had just been brutally beaten. Three men with pool sticks took turns hitting her, hitting her so hard that one stick broke, and she thought that was the end of it, but it wasn't. He called for another stick, and he started to beat me with that stick. I remember going down. I couldn't see, but I could hear. And I heard someone say, you have to kill her. You can't take her to the hospital because they're gonna ask too many questions. Those men did bring her to a hospital, sort of. They wrapped her up in a blanket and dropped her at the loading dock at the hospital. She would be found three hours later. The attack was so bad that it took her 13 days to recover. When I got ready to leave, guess who they released me to? To him. And I couldn't take it anymore. So I decided that my only way out was to kill him. Oh my goodness. Him was her trafficker. In Joyce's mind, there was only one way out. So I got a gun, took it back to the house, hid it in an upstairs bathroom that he didn't use. Waited for my opportunity, came downstairs. Was stretched out on the sofa. I stood up, looked at him, shot him once. I shot him and I stood there and I watched him die. Welcome back. Joyce Dixon Haskett, a person built up to me as a great inspiration, a person who was a beacon of hope and perseverance, just admitted that she shot a man with the intent to murder. And I can say it's the first time I've ever had someone sit across from me and say they've killed someone. And I thought something was wrong with me because I didn't go to pieces or I didn't lose my mind or anything like that. I just felt safe. For WDIV and Graham Media, I'm Jeremy Allen. This is part two of Joyce Dixon Haskett's story. Got dressed, found the keys, got myself out of the house. Joyce was now a killer. In her mind, if she didn't kill, she would have been killed. The moment in your head when it clicked that you were going to kill your your trafficker. Do you remember specifically where you were? Do you remember the process? I know you said you went and found a gun and all that stuff. Do you remember feeling fear? Do you remember any of the emotions that obviously anger, but can you walk us walk me through that? What that was like the moment it clicked in your head or that was the way out of this? Oh my goodness. After I left that hospital and nothing changed, I knew that 
for me, it was just a matter of time. And it's a scary thought. But I wanted to live. I thought about my children. I wanted to live. And it was frightening. It was really because you think about, you know, I don't want to go to prison. What's going to happen to my children? But I don't want to die. I don't want to kill him. I don't want to kill anybody. But he's not going to let me go. And you don't wound people like this. You don't shoot them in the arm or the leg as a warning to leave you alone. They just make an example out of you. So in my mind, the only way out was to kill him. And I was very, very afraid. Even before I shot him, I was afraid. But I wasn't afraid because of, of I don't know, what the common fears would be. I was afraid of things like, what if the gun doesn't go off? What if he sees it? What, you know, what do I do? She was so intent on getting away from him, escaping the hold that he had on her life, that in the moment, prison wasn't anything more than a fleeting thought, but there were consequences. I was gone for two weeks, came back, turned myself in, went to jail, and I was conflicted because I wasn't a killer, but I killed. I wasn't a murderer, but I murdered. I thought about it. It was premeditated, and I didn't think about it in terms of oh, I'm just trying to commit premeditated murder. I was just trying to live. And it is a bad feeling to know that you took somebody else's life. But at the same time, I do not apologize for living. So when it was over, the judge said, you'll die in prison and sentenced me to natural life. That's that's prison without parole, mandatory life sentence. So I went to prison. Joyce had sealed her fate. She was now a prisoner of the state for life. And although she'd already had some pretty dark days, these would be some of the darkest. You brought up God and your relationship with God and how it almost sounded like you felt betrayed. Like, well, where are you? What's going on? How can this happen to me? So can you talk about the journey that you've had through life, not just yourself, but along with your relationship with God? Oh, I'm so glad you asked me that. Part of what got me out of prison was I remembered this one particular Sunday. The prison ministry came and there was this little old lady. She was about 85, about 85-year-old little black lady. No filter at all. And so, you know, when you're 85 years old, you figure, look, I've lived through enough to say whatever I want to say. So she's in the prison, and she looks at me, and she says, come here, baby. And I walked over to her in my good girl voice. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, how much time you doing? I said, I'm doing natural life. She said, natural life? I said, yes, ma'am. That woman looked at me and said, as long as there's breath in your body, there is hope. And your hope is in Jesus. And it wasn't what she said. It was the way she said it. With authority, like she knew what she was talking about. 
And just like that day when I was seven and I didn't want to stay at the carnival, I didn't want to stay at the church service anymore. I went back to my room. I fell down on my face. And in my own snot, my own tears, I said, God, if I die in this prison, it's okay. You just saved me. If I die right here, oh God, it's okay. If you just save me, because I had nothing left. But Joyce did have something. During her time behind bars, she'd become an activist. She started fighting for the rights of women in prison, trying to help mothers stay connected to their children. But even though she'd found this purpose, years start to add up. Five become 10, 10 years become 15, and so on. No faith, no hope, no strength, no energy. 17 years, five appeals, five times the courts overturned it. I had nothing left, no money. If I die here, it's okay. And I was down on the floor crying, and I heard the judge's voice in my ear saying, you will die in prison. But you know, he was right, because the old Joyce laid there and died, and a new Joyce in Christ Jesus got up. When I got up off that floor, there was a new hope, a new belief, a new strength, a new faith. I didn't know anything about any of it. I just knew that I was going to be okay. Six weeks after that, I was back in court. After 17 years and 120 days, things happened for me that most people can't explain. Her road back to court was not easy. While in prison, she studied the law, became a paralegal, and began helping others looking for a way out. She figured out how to play the game, realizing the best way to make inroads was to make friends with the court clerks, because they had access to the court documents, court schedules, and generally knew what was going on. And Joyce knew the process. Joyce had appealed five times, and she had won five times, but each and every time, those appeals would be overturned. Eventually, a jailhouse lawyer found, a, found an issue in my case and got back to court. I had a tremendous amount of support. And I was freed after 17 years and got out of prison, stood in the sunlight, with no belly chains, no leg irons, no handcuffs. 17 years I was free. Joyce had done it. 
She could go back and see her family. She could sleep in her own bed. She could do most everything any free woman could do. And she had a future. Because not only was she busy being an activist and a paralegal in prison, she also got a unique opportunity to put her future in motion. I was one of three women selected to be a part of a pilot program for the University of Michigan. I'm just so happy to say that uh, I'm the first woman to ever graduate from the University of Michigan while behind bars. Go blue. And her education kept going after she got out. And I went right into the School of Social Work, University of Michigan. Finished my master's. Everything else is history. Um, haven't looked back since. It doesn't make sense to just linger back there in the past. There's, there's no good back there. Joyce thought her whole life would be spent in a cell behind bars. And not only had she gotten out of prison, she'd gotten a world-class education. She was heading forward and refused to dwell in the past. But she fully realizes it's important to heal. You can't suppress feelings and thoughts. You must address them. And now, as a social worker, that's one of her messages. I spent a lot of time as a child fantasizing about having different parents, about having a mom and a dad and, you know, the leave it to beaver kind of thing. It was, I never had that. I never knew what that felt like. And I wanted it so much. You've obviously grown emotionally, uh, mentally, um, to the point now where you're very successful. If you could hop in a time machine and go back and, and hold that seven-year-old and hug her and tell her anything, what would, you, what would you want to go back and say to her? Oh, my goodness. I, that's amazing you say that. I work with my clients on that very thing right now. I would go back and get her and let her know that it wasn't her fault and that she's okay. Because what we do is run from that little girl. We run from that little boy. We get as far away as we can, and we leave them back there. And they are back there, just still feeling unworthy, still hurt, still confused, still wondering what it was that they did wrong to cause so much hurt and so much pain. We have to be able to go back, get that little kid, process what happened, process what happened to that little kid, and let her know that she's okay and she's not alone. And it was not her fault. Oh my goodness. It wasn't her fault. Joyce is a success in her field. She works with a wide range of clients and says because of her personal experiences, it's easier to understand where people are coming from because she knows pain. Do you regret what happened? No. I mean, if I could have created this amazing fantasy life for myself, I would have. But what happened was supposed to happen. It could have been somebody else, but it was supposed to be me. You know, now I've learned that we are right where, I don't care who we are. 
we're right where we're supposed to be until we get to that next place. So I, I hurt because of maybe the pain I caused other people. I hurt because of the pain I caused my own children, maybe my own family. But if I regret, then what I'm really saying is that I'm responsible for what happened to me. And what happened to me didn't start at the place where I shot him. What happened to me started way back when I was seven. So I don't regret doing what I did because back then wasn't my fault. And I don't regret doing what I did because I wanted to live. I know pride's a sin, but are you, do you ever sit back and think, I'm pretty proud of myself and what I've done and where I've come from and where I'm headed? Do you ever allow yourself to think that? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. Because it fuels me. It fuels me forward. And I am not afraid now. I'm not afraid to be proud of me. I am not afraid to give myself permission to say, Joyce, good job, well done. This, I was there, I've been there, I know what that feels like. But I've also learned how to overcome it. But yes, good job, Joyce. <laughs> Joyce works with many anti-trafficking organizations and continues her fight against the crime. She speaks to survivors and their families regularly. And I talk to Joyce on the phone periodically. Hi, baby. How you doing? And every time I hang up, I feel like I want to be better because that's just what she does. She inspires. You know, although I know it happened right now, it doesn't, it's like a vapor. It's like it happened but I'm here, I'm in such a place, and I'm progressing forward every day. And not only am I doing well, I'm so blessed, but I'm able to do something for that one who's still there. You know, Jeremy, I have now what I've never had before. I have a voice. I have a voice. And people hear me, and they listen to me. They listen to me. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Joyce, you can find her on Facebook. Just search Joyce Haskett and Associates. That's J-O-Y-C-E-H-A-S. K-E-T-T, and Associates. If you want to learn more about the heroes of the anti-trafficking movement, go to clickondetroit.com and click the Stop the Trafficking tab. We've also left a link in our show notes. You can find Shattered on Facebook and on the web at Shattered Podcast. And fans of our last season, Hoffa, we have an update coming soon. A harrowing story you haven't heard before, a polygraph test, 
and new eyewitness accounts so much. Stay subscribed, and we'll talk to you soon.